3: You think football is still fun? Uh,
2: yes. Sir? Yes. No. No? Sir? sir uh, it was fun.
3: Not anymore, though, is it?
2: Is it? Uh, no, not by No, not, not, it's not, not fun anymore. No. Not even a little bit. Just look at that. He hit the fucking ball. That gets a free steak. <laughs> you having fun yet? Oh, yeah. I'm having a blast. Thanks. Nice. Good.
1: All right. Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Welcome to our September finale, talking about Almost Famous with the great Brian Gill of Mad About Movies. If you're kind of new to the show, uh, every now and then I will do a non-sports movie. It used to be a once-a-month thing. I would like to bring that back because as much as I love sports movies, which is why this podcast was created, a lot of other good sp- Good movies that are just not about sports. So uh, this is one that is is a perfect movie. It was great to have Brian return to the podcast, talk to me about it. But this movie was selected by members of the Big Screen Sports Patreon group. I put up a selection of four non-sports movies uh, in the month of August to be voted on to be covered this month. And they selected Almost Famous. Great choice. Thank you to the group for their voting power and picking one of my favorite movies, one of Brian's favorite movies. Speaking of the Big Screen Sports Patreon, group want to shout out new patrons and i i want to put this caveat moving forward you folks have heard me talk about movie character names and how bad i am with names so if i mispronounce your names and you are a a paying member of this patreon by all means message me tell me like hey man this is how you pronounce it you did it wrong Uh, Ryan, Nigel Yeager, Nick Merriam, James Kowalewski, and Isaac Pigott. Also, shout out to Mike Drees, who is now a producer patron, along with these other producer patrons. Our producer level patrons are Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D, Ryan Yeager, and James Kowalewski. Uh, Big thanks to you folks. It is a you know, you, you really are you are producing this podcast, you are helping this engine grow. Uh, thanks to everyone who has joined this Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash big screen sports, you can support the show, support this endeavor. You get episode notes, you get scheduling updates. When I know about an episode, you know. and uh, you get to vote on movies like like this episode on Almost Famous, you get to vote and participate in patrons choice topics. Uh, vote is out now for the October movie. Unless, like I said last week, unless there's a massive influx of, of people who don't like love and basketball, it's looking like love and basketball in October. I'm also gonna do a Ted Lasso season two AMA whenever the you know when the season wraps up after our finale episode. I'm gonna really put the content of the pod in the hands of the patrons. I'll, I'll you know I'll still pull some movies for me, uh, you know, but a lot of future episodes are just gonna be put to a vote. Gonna leave it up to the patrons. So we are covering what they want to hear Uh, so far. Great taste from our big screen sports Patreon group. Uh, And if you join the big screen sports Patreon group, a certain tier, you get a sticker. It's a great looking sticker. Uh, Some are some more going out in the mail this week. Uh, Big thanks to everyone who has joined this Patreon group. It's seriously uh, to get, to get personal here for a few seconds. It is every time I see someone has joined it, it, it blows me away. I'm very, very grateful. Very, very appreciative. I'm, glad that people are enjoying the show and uh, this patreon is is helping helping continue that endeavor so thank you to everyone who's joined patreon.com big sports also thank you to everyone who has rated and left a you know five star rating and a review on Apple podcasts those have been coming through lately and they they do really help the show they help for visibility or however you know Apple podcast calculates that so big thanks to everyone. Uh, Ted Lasso season two episode ten, a an absolute doozy that is dropping on Thursday with a very special guest. But for now, let's please the patrons and talk Almost Famous with my buddy Brian Gill. All right, joining me to talk about, frankly, one of the best movies that has ever been covered on this podcast. He's a returning guest, one of my favorite guests. He was most recently on this show to defend some. To defend some questionable takes, <laughs> uh, it is the co-host of Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor, Brian Gill. Brian, thanks so much for returning to Big Screen Sports.
3: Listen, um, it's it's always a joy to be here, but but moreover, I I feel like if you'd done this one without me, I'd have been a little upset. So I'm glad that we can uh, we can remain podcast friends. Like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, so- yeah. I, I threw the non-sports movie of this month up to a vote. The patron selected almost famous and in and very resounding fashion. It was a it was a sound. Well, defeat. I was campaigning. Yeah, so
3: that that was part of it. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. yeah. So you, uh, so yeah, you were the you were the the automatic invite for that one. But before we get into it, tell the folks uh, what's what's going on at bad about movies and what's going on. At Spread the floor with the M- NBA season's pretty close.
3: Yeah, it's it's coming. Um we spread the floor. We took this week off cuz it was one where there's just nothing happening yet. Um uh, we actually did a little break over the off season my my co-host was changing jobs uh and then just trying to get back into school and all that stuff. There wasn't a whole lot happening, so we we took a nice uh nice little month off, which was great. But yeah, season's coming and so every week we'll be covering the biggest things that happen uh in in the world of the NBA and we do a little bit of uh, draft coverage as that gets closer. Um, my my co-host from Mad Movies, Richard, he's gonna come on uh, in like three weeks to do. We're gonna do over under picks for the for the season. We did that last year, and we actually all we all came out in the fake money. So if you uh, if you listen to our podcast, our over unders, uh, you at least have a pretty good chance. And then use our, our information, you have a good chance of of uh, making some money. So so there's that. Uh, and mad about movies is just we've we uh, we just celebrated our 750th episode something like that, um, which is which is pretty pretty wild. And and uh, October November December these are this is like prime time for movie podcasts. You're going to get you know that great mix of like blockbuster movies, but also awardsy movies and stuff. So there's something for everyone, and uh, I'm 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 always pumped for for the fall into winter season. This is this is kind of the prime time to me.
1: Yeah, we've got a ton coming out especially with what the last year has been movie wise. Like, sure. this is going to yeah. be, I, there's even, even with some stuff getting delayed, like it's going to be, it's going to yeah, be an awesome sure. run. And for folks unfamiliar, Brian and the guys over at Mad About Movies, they're covering the stuff that's coming out right now. You've got, you've got good throwback stuff on your, your Patreon, your VIP feed, but mm-hmm. they're covered. So if you, you know, when, um, when, you know, No Time to Die comes out or when Dune comes out, those are going to be your guys. So yeah. everyone, Everyone, go check out Mad About Movies, but Brian, we're here to talk about a movie that somehow came out 21 years ago, uh, which is <laughs> which is cool, crazy yeah. because you watch it and it it is aged like a fine, fine wine. We're yeah, talking about timeless. Almost Famous, the 2000 drama written and directed by Cameron Crowe. A high school boy is given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an up-and-coming rock band. As he accompanies them in their concert tour. It starred Kate Hudson, Billy Crudup, Patrick Fugit and Philip Seymour Hoffman won best picture musical or comedy at the Golden Globes it was nominated for four Oscars netted a win for best screenplay for Cameron Crowe and I mean just it's basically Cameron Crowe's you know his story it's it's, he was a teenage writer for Rolling Stone this one is very personal in a good way Uh, right off the bat you know I I don't have to ask Hall of Fame movie for you (laughs)
3: yeah, this is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, so it, it's uh it'd be pro- it'd be kind of weird if I was like, nah, not that great, but kind <laughs> of starter, still solid starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a third man in the rotation. I'd say, uh no, this is this is one of the this is one of the all time movies to me. Um, when the About movies first started, I think our hundredth episode, way back when um we did for, to celebrate that, we did our, our top ten favorite movies. And I think I had this like third or fourth on my list. And then during the pandemic at the beginning, when there were no movies at all, there weren't even, you know, anything streaming yet and stuff like that. Um, one of the episodes we did was a, was a um, like a re- a redo of those lists. We did our, like our top 10 favorite movies and our top 10 favorite TV shows or something like that as a, as a way to get through a week where we had no content and, I had rewatched Almost Famous multiple times at the beginning of of quarantine, and I was like, "This is my favorite movie." I don't know why I've I've ever said that it's not. It's uh, this I, I I love this film so much. So yeah, it's it's a it's a Hall of Famer all through and through to me.
1: Yeah, it's a perfect movie. It catches some of these actors at their absolute best, best thereof or be. It has it has a loaded mm-hmm. cast overall. Just great people doing great work. It's amazing music. It's just incredible. It has incredible character depth, which did just like you know some of Crowe's earlier work, Jerry Maguire. Um, Say anything. It's like the culmination of that, and like mm-hmm. this isn't, this isn't like groundbreaking analysis. It's just really fun, and every yeah. scene has something. Like we'll we'll get into best scene, but it's like every scene has something mm-hmm. you can take away from. it, something to look forward to. There's no wasted space in the movie. I feel like, I mean, and it's it's age. It's yeah. 21 years old, yeah. and you can pick it up. Th- this could come out right now and you know bomb at the box office because it's not Marvel, but then everyone would love
3: it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It's a it really is a perfect movie. It's also it's a really warm movie to me. It's it's um, I think I I kind of discovered that over quarantine. Of this this had forever been a movie that's like. I'm going to revisit that once a year or so because it's a movie I love so much, but I I never wanted to get old. So I'm I'm cautious about having it be like a background movie or anything like that. But especially at the beginning stages of quarantine when everything was just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what to expect. And you're just like kind of bored and stuck in the house and that sort of like existential dread of everything that's happening and stuff. I watched this movie over and over again um, and I did that today. I finished watching it today to get ready for this. Um, And then I sat down to like kind of do some notes and I, I mean, I'd finished it 20 minutes earlier and I was like, I'm going to go ahead and just start it over again (laughs) so that I can kind of ruminate in it while, um, while I'm working on this stuff. Um, it is, it's I'm a big Cameron Crow guy. I would, I would do anything to, (laughs) to rejuvenate. rejuvenate. I
1: I was going to (laughs) say, let's, let's like kind of roll in. I was going to clear the floor (laughs) for you. Talk to me about the Cameron Crow experience because we have this, this amazing lead up to sure. to yeah. almost famous where you have say anything you have jerry Maguire, which is uh has a lot of similarities to this mm-hmm. movie in terms of like character depth and creating really dynamic memorable yeah. characters it's meant to make you feel good you yeah. watch jerry Maguire now and there's a few takeaways where you're like i don't know if i feel as good about this as i did in 1996 sure. and then it, yeah. it this is just as as high a peak as you can get and then it's been bumpy. Vanilla Sky, not everybody's <laughs> cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Elizabethtown, when we were still trying to make Orlando Bloom, you know, a, a uh-huh. real movie star. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of. We bought a zoo. Aloha. There's been Oof. some ups and downs. Yeah.
3: yeah, I, I think Camp Crow is an incredible writer. Um, and I think that's that's been the well before he was making movies, he was in, just an incredible writer. I was going through uh, a friend game. I have a big record collection here behind me, and and uh, a friend. Gave me a crate of of older records and I was going through what he had given me. This was like two days ago. I was going through it. And um he wrote he, uh, he wrote like the liner notes for Zeppelin's uh, the song remains the same, the the vinyl, uh, the record on that and stuff. Great writer, fast times rage my high, all that sort of stuff. So he has this incredible pedigree. Um, and I I don't know. I I genuinely I don't I don't know what happened. Um, because I, I mean, Vanilla Sky is like that movie that's that's super ambitious and just doesn't quite land, but you can kind of say, at least I can, like, hey, I get what he was, it was cool what he was trying to do, it just maybe didn't quite work out. It's really trying something, because he, yeah, sure, he could have
1: sure. ran back this almost famous feel-good right, formula right. to the bank forever, and Vanilla Sky Absolutely. is extremely yeah. ambitious. Just really for weird. Sure.
3: Yeah, it is. It's out there, and it doesn't really feel like a Cameron Crowe movie, but I I respect that he was trying to do something different. I'll go to bat for Elizabethtown and, and that's a, it's a terrible take. I just will be honest about my own bad taste. It's just, I feel like that movie has 80% of a really great movie and 20% of not a good movie. And I just can, I'm willing to overlook it uh, because of, of how much I love Cameron Crowe. I just think Orlando Bloom's the wrong guy. Uh, to play that role, like I wish Billy Crudup was the the lead in Elizabethtown. That's that Billy Crudup a, is an a- another
1: plus. guy yeah. that we can yeah. that we can kind of get into yeah. about what it's up with yeah. him.
3: Crow is a is a director who um it's not just with Almost Famous, but I think it comes out the most in this movie. Um, he's a guy who gets he gets the absolute best performances out of his actors to the point that they are then chasing that forever. Um, and I've always kind of speculated on that. And then um, last year, uh, James Andrew Miller, the guy who wrote the uh, the Saturday Night Live and the ESPN Oral Histories, he, he's got a podcast co- called Origins. And his series last summer was on Almost Famous. And so he had everybody. He had Cameron Crowe. He, uh, uh, he, he had Kate Hudson. He had everybody in- involved um, in these interviews. And Kate Hudson straight up said that she was like, I spent the next 15 to 20 years chasing what I had done with Almost Famous. And I just never I never got another role like that. I never got another opportunity that was like that. And something to the effect of like, I'm just coming to grips with how long that took me to get through. But it's the same with Crudup. Crudup is a, is a, you know, a, a very solid actor. He's had a solid career. He's had a, gr- a lot of stuff on stage. He's fantastic but he's not ever going to do at this point. You have to say he's never going to do a Russell Hammond again. And no, that's no. I mean, it's a, it's a defining
1: career defining role. And you would have thought that he could have transitioned that into, into movie stardom, into continually mm-hmm. finding roles like that. I don't know. There's like the, the Wesley Morris market correction theory. Mm. I, I don't yeah. know who really market corrected him. I don't know who was taking Billy Crudup roles, but like, He's he's noted for certain choices, does a lot of that stage sure. stuff, like you said, will dive into a small indie movie. But like, uh-huh. you know, like he like in Spotlight, he has one of the minor roles and it's probably he's excellent. Is that right. is that lawyer McLeish? And yeah. it's kind of like, you know, it, it that's the thing with this movie is he gets some of these people. He gets the it's the best Hudson's ever going to be because, I mean, the mm-hmm. rest of the, you know, the next 15 years for her are basically rom-coms. Yeah. Um I will go to bat for my best friend's girl which is probably a terrible take <laughs> but I will go to bat for that movie. She's excellent in it. I I will uh. say. Um and Dan Cook is good in the movie. That is something I said on a movie <laughs> podcast.
3: That really hurt you. That, that, that physically hurt
1: you. That was it, that yeah. was painful. But like he gets he gets the best of Crudup he gets the best yeah. of Kate Hudson, he gets the best of our lead uh Patrick mm-hmm. Fugit There's really there's really nothing else for him in this and then he gets like he surrounds them with you know, Francis McDormand, who is yeah. on the usual for doing her usual Francis McDormand thing. Mm-hmm. Um Philip Seymour Hoffman, just incredible. Uh yeah. It's, he just, you know, I think just like you said, that he gets the best out of his actors. You could argue he gets the best out of Cruz and, yes. and oh, Jerry oh, Maguire. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. it's the most likable Cruz, I
3: yeah. would say for, yeah. for the Cuba most part. Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. especially on mm-hmm. that. I mean, he's never, I mean, now there's weird stuff with Cuba, but yeah. like the next 25 years of Cuba's career is not, nothing measures up to what he's doing there. And you could say like, that's, it's, it's partly the writing and it is, that's also Crow. You could say that it's, it totally is. But I, I just think he has, I think he understands performers. Um, and I, I think part of that is just because he, because this is, you know, autobiographical, this movie is, I mean, he he's 15 years old basically and is, on a plane with the Almond brothers, you know, I mean, he's, he's part of, uh it, I mean, performers are like part of his genes almost uh from such an early age. And so I think that's part of it. I think he understands how to get the absolute best out of, out of his actors. So I would love for him to rediscover it. Every time he has a project, which doesn't happen very often or is like sort of mentioned as potential I'm I'm like, man. I would. I'm just like putting out all of the the positive energy I can, uh, just hoping that that some of it picks up and that he's able to kind of rediscover what it is that that made him. I think a great director, um, and and certainly certainly a great writer, um, and it just. We just haven't seen it in a while.
1: No, it's been, it's been many moons, but maybe it, you know, maybe the next one's next one's the one, um, for IMDb trivia. So this one has 115 trivia items. I'm not, (laughs) I encourage everyone to go read. It's very interesting. A lot of it has to do a lot of the trivia is and IMDb trivia again is like, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it is like Wikipedia where anyone can post something, but a lot of it has to do with how crow took his own experiences Brought him into this film. I mean, the film Cameron Crow's semi autobiographical account of life as a young Rolling Stone reporter. Actual group Crow first toured with was the Allman Brothers band. Greg Allman distrusted him and kept asking if he was a narc. Crow is in a near fatal prank plane crash while traveling with the who the character of Russell Hammond is partially based on Glenn Frey of the Eagles. So there, yeah, there's a bunch of great IMDb stuff, but I wanted to run through, there's a lot of casting. What ifs or like <laughs> yeah. stuff yeah. like that. And it's, it's very, I love going through casting. What ifs, even though I feel like a lot of this is bullshit. Like there's a ton of so-and-so front runner for Penny Lane. So, and so Penny Lane, yeah. Penny Lane, yeah. Penny Lane. Yeah. But, um, the roles of Han- Russell Hammond and Penny Lane were originally written for Brad Pitt and Sarah Polly, respectively. I don't know anything about Sarah Pauly. I'll, I'll say that yeah, right now. Yeah. But Pitt is Hammond. <laughs> this yeah. seems like something he would have loved. I think at that time, I'm not sure we were ready for what he really is, as a char- just a hot character
3: actor. I'm supremely thankful. I love Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt is, is a, I mean, obviously he's a just a mega movie star and has the presence and um, I think he is a, I don't think he's as rangy of an actor as whatever, Gary Oldman or something, but I think he's a very talented actor and I think he would have done a great job with this role. Russell Hammond is probably my favorite movie character in any movie. I love Russell Hammond and Penny would be in my top 10. I love both of those characters. If this is Brad, and and part of the whole thing was he's he's gonna star, he's gonna help produce, he's gonna do the whole the whole nine yards, and I'm sure he would have gr- done a great job with it. This beca- this is a Brad Pitt movie. If 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 he's in that role, it, this isn't almost famous. It's Brad Pitt starring in almost famous. You know, it's a it's a completely different movie. I mean, and- to
1: quote Jeff Bebe, your looks have become a problem. That, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's what it would have yeah. been.
3: I mean I mean Russell Hammond is a beautiful man Billy Crudup is a beautiful yeah. man but he's not no one I mean who who is Brad Pitt especially in 2000 and 2001 like, I mean he was literally
1: gosh, the hottest man on the planet the hottest
3: person in the world yeah. and so it's it's you'd have to I don't know if you'd have to ugly him up but you'd have to kind of dirty him up and I'm sure they could figure out a way to do it and I, again I'm sure he would have done a great job with it he but it just it becomes a different movie and I think the movie is better for having fulfilling for itself with like not unknowns because Billy, people knew who Billy Crudup was, people knew who Kate Hudson was. Um, obviously, people at that point, I mean, Francis McDormand already had an Oscar, mm-hmm. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman had
1: already done Boogie yeah, Nights,
3: it, exactly. So, it's it, they're not unknowns, um, but they're not movie stars either, and that I think is. A huge part of it i think i i think i think that's part of what makes the movie work so well there's almost patrick fugit is the lead almost by default it's it's there isn't really a lead in this movie it's it, but it's also not quite an ensemble it's just uh, it, it it's just a different kind of movie if you start installing movie stars into it
1: yeah, yeah. well let's so a lot of there in the imdb there's a lot of like who you know, was considered for Penny Lane like it says Uma Thurman turned down the role of Penny Lane and Claire Danes mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst I Uma, Uma Thurman is interesting I feel like she's too old at that point even then mm-hmm. like I feel like she's in her 30s at that point like she's she's married to Ethan Hawke I feel like that that has a different vibe there is some stuff like some criticism like oh how old was Penny Lane supposed to be were they traveling with a preteen I, I've never thought that she was like a teenager. I always, I always feel like she's in like her early twenties. Like she's young.
3: Yeah. So last year, a little inside baseball, we reviewed this movie on our podcast on, on our VIP feed. And, um, a friend of ours, Ellen started a podcast, uh, during quarantine cause she was furloughed and was just bored um called called um love that movie and so i went and i i did i talked about it so now this has become my thing i get which i'm totally f- thrilled with everyone Anybody- holler at brian if <laughs> yeah, you've got an almost I'm always episode. happy always happy to come in and talk about this um i listened back to those today which i never listened to myself talking on, on a podcast ever but i listened back just to kind of remind myself of some of the notes i had um when we were doing those episodes and stuff and I I mean, I said I referenced the fact that she's like 17 years old or whatever. And then when I was watching the movie today or yesterday, it kind of struck me as like, I'm not sure that she is. I think that I think when she I mean, obviously she's young, but I but I think when when she talks about her age um with with William. I think she's just matching him age for age. That's how I, that's how I
1: feel too. She doesn't, she doesn't come off like, and I think Hudson was in her early twenties and that's what Penny, that's what Penny feels like to me. Some of the others, like Anna Paquin seems, seems and looks uncomfortably young in this, in this movie. And like, she was like, I think she was 24, but um, I, I mean, it's, I, I can't imagine anyone other than Hudson in this part. She's the movie nope. poster. She's she's fantastic. I love Uma Thurman. I really enjoy Claire Danes. She would be like... I think she'd be coming off the Rainmaker, pretty close to the Rainmaker, a movie that I I love the Rainmaker.
3: Yeah, I do too. I love the Rainmaker. Oh, yeah, man, the Rainmaker The Rainmaker
1: is yeah. that's like an odd if it's on TV, like we're yeah, we're breaking plans. Watching <laughs> <laughs> watching. I Rainmaker. rented that
3: movie so many times when I was when I was in high school. It was like one of those movies. I grew up in a pretty conservative household. And so finding a, a movie at Blockbuster that I wanted to watch that my parents were cool with was, you know, pretty tenuous a lot of times, even when I was 14 or 15 years old. And that so that was when I went to a bunch. I love Rainmaker Sorry. That's a super uh, but, little tangent, but yeah, I, I love rainmaker
1: folks. Yeah. If you want a rainmaker pod, let's, <laughs> that's, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge rainmaker fan. Um, a few of the other casting things, Elijah Wood tested for the role of William. That would be interesting just in like, cause one of the things about this movie is that, it's really that's that's all we we get out of Patrick Fugues. career. He's been working steadily. I looked. He's been working steadily mm-hmm. for twenty right. years. But this is this is his movie, and like this is this is really it for him in terms of yeah. being a mainstay in a great movie. And if it had been Elijah Wood, who I think is capable, mm-hmm. Fellowship of the Ring comes out the next year. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, you view sure. it I, view it differently.
3: Yeah, and I, I think there was some. I think there was some purposefulness with, uh, casting a, a kid, a kid. I mean, he was a, Patrick Fugit was a kid. Um, really when he, we started doing this, um, casting a kid who didn't, who hadn't been part of this business. Um, Elijah Wood was a child actor. You know I mean? He, he was part of, part of the, uh, the, 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 the child the kid actor circuit in the early nineties and stuff. Um, I think I think Crow was purposefully looking for somebody who was new to this business so that you could kind of capture some of that um the awe of being in a room with Philip Seymour Hoffman or Billy Crudup or Kate Hudson or or whoever else. Um, because you want that for the character. You want that 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 sense of like, how am I here? This is such a this is what I want, but holy cow, how am I? Here and I think it also works really well with between Patrick and and Kate Hudson. You need that. Um, it's not like a, it's not like even a romantic tension. It's just that crush thing mm-hmm. that is so central to that character, and that was real. Um, they talked about it in the in that Origins podcast, which I'm sure I'll continue to reference. But he had a huge, massive crush on her, and how could you not? How? Could, yeah. How if you're Patrick Fugit? how could you not have a huge crush on the manic pixie dream girl that is Penny Lane slash Kate Hudson? I mean, you know, that's that. And so that works beautifully. I'm not saying that wouldn't happen with Elijah Wood, but I I think you might lose acting. I mean, I'm not an actor, but you, I got, people can put on an incredible performance. I think you lose something from the eyes and from just the kind of bewilderment that he exhibits that I just don't think you get if you have an experienced actor in that role, even if they are Elijah Wood or or somebody who who came up in it. I I, I think you need that kind of uh fish out of water thing. Yeah, it
1: feels it feels really authentic. Everything that William is going through. Right, uh, it, right. it feels like it comes through Fugit very well. You mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman, John Favreau and Jack Black both auditioned for the role of Lester Banks the jack black would have killed killed that like not not killed in a good way i feel like i feel like it's not (laughs) i feel like it's not good i feel and it's it's tough compared to philip seymour hoffman like i like jack black and a lot of stuff but i think that i i don't know I, i don't i don't like it just maybe just compared to philip seymour hoffman
3: see and i agree with you i think this is this is my favorite uh hoffman by by a by a mile um, he's obviously, he won an Oscar. He's an incredible, he was an incredibly talented actor. did a lot of great work. This is my favorite performance of his and weird. Cause it's my favorite movie. I know it's, it's, you know, it kind of, it kind of connects, but I, I think, I think you're right. Jack Black would have been fun in that role. He would have made Lester Bangs really fun. He would have had a great time cool. doing it. Yeah, exactly. And I would still love this movie. I'm sure. Um, but with respect to Jack Black, who is a very talented actor, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is like one of the 10 greatest American actors of his generation. He's a freaking force. And to have him come into that role and I mean he only shot I think they shot for 4 days. 4 days think. and he had the flu, flu the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean uh and he he has the perfect just absolutely I think the perfect vibe for what for who Lester Bangs is and for what that character is is doing. Um this like sort of mix of I don't care but also I don't have a life I'm not cool and um and that's a thing that I think plays out through through a ton of this movie which I love the part of what makes these characters work um is that none of them are cool except for Penny Lane Penny's the only person in this whole movie who actually is borderline walking you know the walk that she that she's that she's talking she's she is inherently cool Russell is not Russell does a great job of putting on the coolness but he's not cool um and and jeff bb the same thing obviously William, same thing and uh uh Lester banks is uh, i mean that's that's what ps psh does so 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 well is just kind of sits there doesn't care but but also he's answering the phone when when william calls him late at night on what we're you know led to believe is a friday or saturday night because he doesn't have anything to do and um yeah i think you're right jack jack probably plays out with a little more manic energy and um that maybe doesn't – I don't think that fits. I yeah, think
1: that fits the he's capable, but it's just yeah. – it's tough when you have, like you said, when you have PSH, PSH yeah. there. Um, last two, Will Forte, an American treasure – According to mad about movies Uh, audition for the part of Dennis hope, but Jimmy Fallon ultimately won the role. And then Michael Shannon auditioned for an unknown part. He later said it was the worst audition of his life. I am of the ilk (laughs) that if you put Michael Shannon in anything, it's better. So I don't know where he fits in, but I just, I, I just really enjoy Michael Shannon.
3: It'd be interesting to see him like as uh, the bass player or the drummer or something. The, but dr- the drummer the- with the the one line <laughs> yeah, would be yeah.
1: like really funny.
3: Yeah. And the camera just pans over him and you just have Michael Shannon with that, that dead eye stare <laughs> that just kind of chills your blood and stuff. I could have been okay with that. could have been okay with that.
1: Have I mean, you that. seen, they came together, the parody, like Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. And it's like a, it's like a rom-com parody. It's just like a complete spoof
3: yes yes i can't remember much about it but i do yeah i remember it's completely
1: ridiculous but michael shannon deserved an oscar for his performance (laughs) and they came together it's just it's absolutely incredible Uh, let's take a quick ad break and then get in with our best scenes
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: All right, so best scene, a difficult, difficult, difficult man thing to pick.
3: Is it three-hour scene? Does that count? Could
1: argue that every scene in this movie has something of note, has something to look for. There's there's no dead space in this one. It I always forget that it actually starts with like young baby william at the, at the middle school like i man uh-huh. that scene where he's in the bathroom and he's looking at <laughs> he's the other kids guy. combing yeah. their mush combing <laughs> their mustaches and stuff and then he's looking at him like i felt that on a real level oh yeah and i was yeah, the yeah, actual age of all my classmates <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah that's man. a that's a biological that's when you know the director is making is making an autobiographical movie you can feel like that's that's probably pretty personal oh to, yeah to
1: yeah. So the, the first thing I've really got is Lester bangs at the radio station and then kind of into his his first his first interaction with William, um, you know, talking about calling Jim Morrison a drunken buffoon. And then mm-hmm. it's like right away, like, oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is having a ton of fun with this.
3: Yeah. Yeah, he's going Iggy Pop, Iggy we, Pop, just ready to go. I love from that scene is is the end of it when he's standing on the street corner with William. And again, you I already kind of mentioned it, but you you start to get a real sense of like um, this guy is is William's hero in a lot of ways, but he's not cool and he's not you know he's not having a fun time. I'm sure, but the whole bit of all right, I got to get out. I can't sit around talking to my adoring fans, and then he still is just standing there and like. You want to get breakfast? Like, I mean, he just, he's like, I guess I might as well, because I, I actually don't have anything to do. It's a funny, funny, funny ender to that. You no,
2: know, your writing is uh, damn good. It's just a shame you missed out on rock and roll. It's over. Over. It's over! I mean, you got here just in time for the death rattle. Last gasp. Last grope. At least I'm here for that. Yeah, what do you type on? Smith Corona Galaxis Deluxe. Hey, you like Lou Reed? The early stuff. In his new stuff, he's trying to be Bowie. He should just be himself. Yeah, but if Bowie's doing Lou, and if Lou's doing Bowie, Lou is still doing Lou. If you like Lou, take drugs. No. Smart kid. And he's clearly
1: so happy to be hanging out with William that William has this interest in him. It's yes, really, it's a absolutely. their yeah. Their relationship is one of the best parts of this movie. And just steady, like, because William doesn't, he can't can't lean on his mom for this stuff. He can't. And then yeah. he can't ask like Penny for advice on what's going on. Like he's Lester is his, mm-hmm. his, his hotline to advice in the outside world. And it's this really yes. nice relationship over the course yes. of the movie. Um, sure. So the next, so William meets Penny Lane. He meets Stillwater. He goes to the concert. I have not We're about 20 minutes in. I haven't mentioned this yet. This is something, this is a take that I was workshopping last night Something that after seeing this movie a lot, I I I think I truly believe. So, we did a Night's Tale on this podcast mm-hmm. yeah. uh, a while back, and we talked about Paul Bettany stealing the show, having a great time. <laughs> I feel like Jason Lee is doing the same kind of thing. Jason Lee might be my favorite part of this movie. That's I'm th- yeah. I'm throwing yeah. that out there. I love like he is on fire because in that. Just in that, like when William meets them, he does has that uh-huh. monologue about the buzz. Like you said you like yes. fever dog. That is the fucking buzz. Like I yes. am uh-huh. all in on Jason yeah. Lee in this movie.
3: i I too love Jason Lee in this. Um he and he was one of the people that I I mean, I, you know, I was like, I think I was seventeen when this movie came out. He was one of the ones that I recognized because I'd seen all the Kevin Smith movies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got I got Mall Rats guy over here. Most of these others at that point, I didn't know who they were, but I knew who Jason Lee was um he you mentioned how honest and or 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 authentic this movie is and that to me is the thing you get with Jason Lee like that is I mean that is the lead singer of a middling band that may be getting bigger I mean it's like the insecurities that he exhibits and in the things that he says (laughs) and that he does I I mean he's He's not my favorite because Russell Hammond and Penny Lane and, and Lester bangs exist. But I think that, that Jeff BB is in, is a truly underrated part of this whole almost famous experience. He says so many ridiculously stupid things, but that also you're like, I, I get what you're saying, but like, you shouldn't say that, you know, but like to me, the funniest thing he says is when he's like, I find the one guy in the room who's not getting off and I make him get off. And that cracks me up every time because You, if you, if somebody said that in a room with you, you would roll your eyes so hard. You'd just be like, "Oh my gosh, this guy!" But then at the same time, you're kind of like, "I mean, that is what he's supposed to do." There's especially in the '70s in this rock era, like the lead man, the leading man, like that's kind of the bit that we're trying to get here. If you look at McJagger and Robert Plant and and all the rest of these guys, um. But I I, so anyway, I I love Jeff Beebe. I think I and Jason Lee does a great job of being kind of scuzzy but not over the top scuzzy I guess
1: yeah and I've I've always found Jason Lee just so funny and so compelling I was a huge my name is Earl fan Mm -hmm. uh, along with the Kevin Smith movies but like that when when their first meeting he's going on his monologue about the buzz and all that stuff but he's saying all this stuff that is like like you said if he's the guy at a party you're like dude shut up but he's doing all this kind of like metaphorical big like these you know fancy sounding phrases Mm -hmm. like he's he's taking these huge world concepts that he's talking but he's he's Mm -hmm. just saying them just because he's a lead singer you know and that and that music can change the world and all that and all that stuff and it's like all the stuff that you could see quoted in a rolling Mm -hmm. stone piece
3: yeah. He really is the evolution of, uh, of Jimmy from, from the wonders from the, the own eaters that, um, Oh man, that's a the, yes. <laughs> I know you love that movie too. So <laughs> that's an easy one to, easy comparison to make, but, but, uh, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy is, you know, is, is the, the 50s, 60s kid. Now, if you, if you extrapolate that out another decade, given what we saw with, you know, the end of the sixties with music and, and the beginning of the seventies and, where Stillwater is coming up, or the the era that that Stillwater water is coming up in, I mean, they're just they're the same to me. They're the same characters, just just changed by by the culture of the time, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, just an incredible Jason Lee performance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the next one I've got is essentially this is a very this is a couple scenes mashed together, but it's a long scene. It's essentially the the t shirt, when the t shirt gets delivered all the way through tiny dancer that Mm -hmm. run of it's it's really it's really fun because you you get the argument between you finally get you've seen some tension on the surface of russell and russell and jeff but you you get that tension you know the dynamic we agreed upon i'm the front man and you're the guitarist with mystique and that's when he gets (laughs) the the, i get people off i look for the one guy who isn't getting off and i make him get off you know what (laughs) that you can print and then the your looks would be kind of problem thing. And then the look in, in Crudup's eyes when the the kids invite him to the party. Is just yeah. like and then he's he's doing the whole thing at the the party. Like you know these these kids are, you know, <laughs> what it's it's nineteen seventy-three. We know this yeah. because he says in eleven years it's gonna be nineteen eighty-four, man. Think about that. <laughs> think about but that. you know, like forty years later, the kids are still talking about like, yeah, this with oh, the guitarist. And then um, you know, oh. it ends with the the tiny dancer.
3: Yeah. That's I mean, that's the that's my favorite sequence of the movie. The whole all of Topeka, I think, just is sort of the embodiment of what this movie is. Um, Probably the first time anyone
1: has said that about Topeka.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With respect to Topeka, this is where you peaked. Probably I would say, Uh, I feel like I said, my dad's from, from uh, that area. So uh, I I feel like I can, I can be definitive on that, but um, yeah, like the, the, that whole scene um, just, again, it feels super authentic and real to, to what would be happening in this moment when you have, um, when you have somebody who is eclipsing the rest of, of the group, uh, that's a big, that's a big deal. And, um, and you're, I mean, how many bands are like, are, or were like right on the edge of breaking out and they can't figure out the the power di- or the, as the power dynamic shifts, you know, it starts to starts to mess with them. Same with teams. I and mean, when we see with, 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 uh, with baseball teams, basketball teams, and stuff like that all the time, where it just like, couldn't quite figure out, what happens when the person who was the second build guy is now becoming the first build? Um, so I love that. I think it, I think it's really fun, and the whole scene of the house party is so great, uh, so good. The the part maybe I mean I am a golden god is is so great um, because <laughs> it's it's not just as a great scene it is it's a great scene but it's another spot to me where you get the real sense that Cameron Crow has experienced this, that he was at this house party where something like this was happening. Um, And to me, where that comes across the most is like when he's up on that roof and all these kids are standing around and they're looking at their freaking hero. Like this guy is, they all love Russell Hammond. And he's at a house in Topeka, like what is happening? And he stands up there and (laughs) he sticks his arms out like a Christ figure and they're all looking at him as if, like, we're about to get something profound. This is going to blow our minds. And he says, <laughs> I dig music. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, OK. And I'm it's on like, drugs. It's like like, <laughs> yeah, I'm on drugs. It's like, it's so funny to me that they all are like all these 16 year olds are just like, oh, well, that's not great. Um, it's, it's very funny to me. And also. When he's just sitting there, in that whole in eleven years it's gonna be nineteen eighty four. Think about that. Think about. And that. that immediately, immediately segues into. You want to see me? <laughs> you to see me feed a rat to my snake? Yes. <laughs> it's just I don't know. It always, always cracks me up the the quickness of that line and how, uh, how how Billy Crudup delivers it. Like absolutely, I do. It's it's so funny to me. It, it works every time. Aaron are what it's all about. You're real.
1: Your room is real. Your friends are real.
3: Real, man, real. You know? Real. Real, you know? You're you're more important than all the the
1: silly machinery. Silly machinery. And you know it! In 11 years, it's going to be 1984, man. Think about that. Want to see me feed a mouse to my snake? Yes. And something, this movie as a whole, just like that cool snapshot in time, rock and roll in 1973, and, like, this is when things like this could happen, because, like, not to be like, oh, things aren't as good as they used to be guy, but, like, Mm -hmm. if if that scene happened, if it's, like, about a band in 2021, like all those kids have their phones up and they're filming Russell yes. and it's something that's yes. like, Oh, that moment went viral. And it's like, no, it's just this like snapshot mm-hmm. of the small house in Topeka where uh, you know, yeah. a rock star randomly went it's just, it's so cool. It's like, it's the epitome of how fun this movie is. And, mm-hmm. but also drawing on these, these experiences that Cameron Crow yeah. had. And then the band essentially just mending their wounds over the course of one song on the bus is, is beautiful.
3: And the perfect song too. I mean, that's, that's just one of the all time great songs. And, um, that was a, I don't know if, if you've ever seen this cause you're a little bit younger than me, but like that, that was my first real exposure to this movie. I knew I'd seen the posters. I knew it was coming out, but, um, there was a music video that was pretty popular on, on MTV and, and VH1 that was just a two minute that two minute scene of them seeing tiny dancer together. That was the whole music video, you know, and that would play in between, uh, you know, whatever else was on uh, MTV at the time. And, uh, and I just was like, this is the coolest, this is the coolest scene. And that song, that song's a perfect choice for it. And I think it perfectly encapsulates um, I've never been in a band obviously because I, I have no talent, but I have been in, relationships and um whether it's a friend relationships or you know um romantic whatever my sp- spousal relationships but that I think that perfectly captures the sense of like we're pissed at each other and eventually somebody's gonna have to break the ice on this and just finding that like thing that like sort of even without like fully apologizing or fully mending the bridge or just as serves as like kind of the bridge to we can get to that place and it's of course it's tiny dancer because who, who can sit in a bus, especially musicians in 1973, who could sit in a bus when tiny dancer comes on the radio and not start tapping their, you know, tapping their seats and singing along and stuff. It's, it's just such a, it's, I mean, I think Cameron Crowe is maybe the greatest of all time at needle drops and picking the songs for his scenes and stuff. And, uh and that to me is like, yeah, obvious. Look at this. This is my example of what I would show. If somebody questioned that, like, how do you top that? What, what, what could you possibly do to improve that that scene
1: yeah it's i I think it's you can't argue against that being the best sequence in the film it's it's wonderful from the t-shirt to Mm -hmm. tiny dancer um the next scene is another transportation centric scene uh turbulence on
2: the plane if uh if something should happen maybe i never said this enough i love all of you
3: In Dearborn Michigan hit and run I
2: hit him just kept on going I don't know if he's alive or dead but I'm sorry and a day goes by I don't see his face
0: oh
1: my God which is I mean very like everyone airing grievances like it is a, it's a very funny scene in a bottle but it's also like a very intense scene in a mm-hmm. bottle I mean again based on something that that Crow, that crow had experienced but it, it's interesting because while we've had some tension bubble on the surface between these people and then we've just left new york where mm-hmm. russell's girlfriend yeah. is very aware that he was sleeping with with penny lane and and all that stuff and it's this tension but it's like how is basically from a storytelling perspective it's like how are we going to get to the point where all these grievances get aired out because we we need to see that the if the band was just simmering the whole time and on the shaky yeah. ground like we need to see everything all the cards get pushed in the middle of the table and the plane starts going and and there and we're off and it is just a stunning display
3: yeah yeah I, I it's a it's a really it's funny scene but i think it also i think you' you're spot on it is a it is a brutally necessary scene given what we had gotten to over the last two hours of, of seeing these people sort of uh, snipe at each other and, and just kind of understanding where those dynamics are and how they're shifting and all that. Um, I mean, to me, that's a very sport. It's, I mean, this is a sports movie podcast, but like, that's a, I mean, we see that a lot in sports. You see that um, we gotta, we gotta hash, we gotta have it out in order for us to establish how this relationship is, is going to work, whether that's, you know, actual professionals or just like, you know, the uh, pick a basketball or something, you know, it's, we, we, we've got to, we've got to establish how this is going to work and we've got to have it out to make that, to get to that place. Um, so I think that's a gr- it's a great scene. Um, I'm not a huge Jimmy Fallon fan. I think he's fine in this movie and he's fine in most things that he does. It is what it is. No big, whatever. I do think he steals that scene like his delivery on, <laughs> I ran over a guy in Grand Rapids or whatever. In and he's like, just kept driving. I don't know what happened to him. But yeah. I just felt like I needed to say that it's, it's such a funny, the line is funny, but the way he delivers it um, is, is pretty perfect. And, I'm not sure that everybody could do that. It's it's really good.
1: The Fallon career arc is so interesting because at that time he's the guy who essentially breaks in every single sketch in SNL. Like that's his thing. He does this. He has the the bit role in Band of Brothers where right as they're right as they're walking into the 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 Battle of the Bulge, like Jimmy Fallon shows up. Right. He 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 leads in in Fever Pitch, and you can see like you know, hey, maybe he's got. He's got this, you know, potential for a career doing some, mm-hmm. you know, mid-level rom coms and stuff right. like that. And then he gets the Tonight Show. It's yeah. it's very interesting, you know, where would what would Jimmy Fallon be up to now? But I, I think that's he is much better in that scene, I think, than he is when he comes in to take over as their manager in that sure. scene. I, I that was the one thing when I was watching last night, I was like, I wonder if. I wonder if someone and maybe it's because of the history we have with Jimmy Fallon now that sure. that yeah. that really because we have we have more history with him than almost anyone on, on this movie now. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe that has something to do with it, but he wasn't wasn't quite as commanding, I think, in, in that scene or wasn't quite as believable yeah. in that one as he is in the, the plane scene. But the plane is plane is good. You get the drummers one one single line in the movie. <laughs> right. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Is the, and then yeah. and then everything stops. But it's um, and then that scene that when it tails into when they're they're walking out the tunnel and like William throws up and you can just see it's just like everyone's ejected. Like, you know, Russell and Leslie are breaking up right away mm-hmm. and it's right. all this stuff. But it's um, it's it's really good.
3: Plant yeah. Scene and you is, also is the end of that, too, you get kind of. um, I'm being on like I watch for like, I don't know, this is super psychoanalyst but like uh like validation between characters um that was a i won't spoil it but that was a big player in in ted lasso a couple of episodes ago that just like i left me sobbing just broken yep the, the validation between two characters when they're walking out of that tunnel and this poor kid is so tired you know as cool as this whole experience must must be he's still 15 years old traveling the country with a bunch of grown men, and he's tired, and he, he just had like he almost died, and all this sort of stuff. Russell turning to him and just saying, "Write what you want," is I think is like such a you can see like the the kind of the weight being taken off. Obviously, that doesn't go well um, from that point on, but it, I think it's a really it's a cool, uh, like soft touch to um a, a pretty intense sequence, and you can just see how much uh william is just like okay thank cool thanks man i you know it's 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 a big it's a big moment for him mm-hmm. i've got the movie going on in the background right, and I, <laughs> what, I, what part I'm, are we I'm on sure I'm, um it's they just uh the band just got off the phone with rolling stone and found out what he wrote but i always forget oh god you, <laughs> i love that <laughs> always forget that jeff bb is wearing a jeff bb <laughs> shirt it's just incredible. It's I, just I literally so that
1: was funny man. I, I only noticed that recently. Like it's it's so, so good. So good. And the chicks are great. I sound like a <laughs> dick. <laughs> just Jason Lee is just he's I that might be like I love the buzz monologue, but when he's talking about that, that's yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. So after that plane, it goes into when he goes to Rolling Stone. We haven't even mentioned like Rain Wilson hanging out at Rolling Stone. <laughs> um, but it goes into that late night call with Lester the, that you were yeah. talking about wow. where they're talking about like they're not cool. That's that's the... I think Hoffman's having more fun when he's at the radio station and kind of hamming it up a little bit, but this is mm-hmm. when he's really, you know, the, oh man, you made friends with them. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. They want you to get drunk on feeling like you belong. And that's like, that's, yeah. you know, Cameron Crowe wrote that like word for word. Just it's yeah. it's so good. It's a really, really good phone conversation.
2: Oh man. You made friends with them. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. They want you to get drunk and feel like you belong. Well, it was fun. Because they make you feel cool. And hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Because we are uncool. While women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people. They got no spine. Their art never lasts. Now they get the girls. But we're smarter.
3: I love that scene. And uh, it has my... I know we're going to talk lines here in a second. That's my favorite line from the movie when when Lester says that the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you say to your friend when you're uncool. I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. And again, like you kind of said there, it, it, that feels like something that somebody said in some way or another to, to Cameron Crowe at some point when he was 15, 16, 17 years old and not, I don't know that's I, I also
1: that that's like the meme. I can't remember. Is it LeBron who threw up the alley oop to Wade or Wade who threw it up to LeBron? But that's like Cameron Crowe throwing that up to <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's <laughs> yeah. just like two yeah. of the greatest people at what they're doing in right. one yeah. moment doing something perfect. It's for sure. It's for flawless. Sure. Uh, the last one I've got. I mean, I, I could have said every scene in this movie, but yeah. when Russell shows up at William's house mm-hmm. is is yeah. a beautiful way to end this movie.
3: I love that. And it, it, I mean, Frances McDormand is one of the great actresses ever. Obviously she has like 18 Oscars. Um, I, that character on paper, I would guess comes across as very annoying. And to the point that like, it's not that she couldn't be redeemed, but I think you even, I think in the, the hands of a lesser actress, you get to that scene and you're just kind of tired of his mom. And it's just like kind of eye rolly and like, but she, she, she does such a great job of exhibiting mom behaviors um without ever losing, without ever letting you, the audience lose contact with the fact that she just loves her kids and she wants what's best for them. She really is trying her hardest. And um, I think she could be so annoying and, And that the fact that she's not obviously shows how great Francis McDormand is, but also it makes that last scene so good. So good. that it could have, it could have easily been, this movie would still be an A plus great movie, but you get to the end. You're like, I kind of don't care about this mom. So this whole thing, the the little guilt trip that she's giving Russell and all this, you're just kind of like, eh, whatever. But instead you've gotten to this point and you still love that mom. And you, you see how much, how much she's trying. and, then she just goes to bat for her kid. And it is, I mean, it gives me goosebumps because she's the best actress ever. And she just like hammers it home. And, but in a way that even Russell has to be like, okay, you're right. Like I'm getting mommed here and I kind of probably need it because. <laughs> well, and it's it's I, great yeah. work by
1: Crudup too. Cause most of yeah. that scene is just, is just body language and facial expression. Yes. Cause he does, yes. he's kind of clue, you know, is she here, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But it's the the moment when he realizes that he realizes that it's William's house and he realizes that Penny has sent him there and that when that washes over his face and it's Mm -hmm. not a look of disappointment. It's like this. It's like this. This is right. Like, one, it's like, oh, she just pulled one over on me. But also like this. She she needed me to make this right. And I needed to make this right. Yeah. And acceptance
3: that he shows, like in just his facial expression, his body language and stuff like, okay, and we're going to go is is great. I mean, he's 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 an incredible actor,
1: And it's so good that he has this news of I called Rolling Stone and told them Mm -hmm. the truth beforehand, as opposed to, yeah, I'm going to call Rolling Stone. Because yeah. like it, it's right. very good that like it, essentially his, his his conversation with the band aid with uh, mm-hmm. with Vicky Valancourt from The Water Boy, who that's what she will forever <laughs> forever be to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> his conversation with her kind of changed his heart in that way before, you yeah. know, he calls, he calls Penny and stuff, but that's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to just wrap a bow on this movie. And then you get For their sure. their Rolling Stone cover them going on the, the no more planes tour and stuff. And uh-huh. I'm sure yeah. I did what, which of your favorites did, have we not talked about?
3: The only ones I would add are, cause those are all great is, um, the, the performances, um, there's there's like three in the movie if I remember correctly because um, you get the one where he shocks his hand mm-hmm. you Mayer get the, and, and you get like the one stuff.
1: from the the first the first concert yeah.
3: yeah so the first concert and the the third one which is kind of a longer take so you get like thirty seconds of three or four different songs and stuff I think both of those um it's not just that they're great scenes because in some ways especially the third one is like whatever this is like pretty almost montagey the way it's put together but. It gives you a really great sense of the lengths to which they went to make that feel real and authentic, down to, um, you know, Crow and and Nancy Wilson and Peter Frampton writing those songs together. Like those are not. I remember watching it for the first time and just assuming because Fever Dog especially is such a banger mm-hmm. that I just kind of like assumed that must be a song from that period that I just don't know. And instead, no, that got wrote, you know, six weeks ago. Um, and it's, it's so good. And they, they worked so hard, um, to get those guys looking like a Brock, a rock band from 1973. And, and I think that it would have been very, very easy to, Hey, let's spend three days with the guitar. And instead they did six weeks, they did like a six week boot camp. um, to 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 learn how to look like a band essentially stage. the that thing you do model because hanks yeah had them real, do the same thing for real yeah which is and i just think it 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 makes the, the 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 kind of the theme of this movie is is honesty and authenticity and whatnot and to go to that length to to make that happen is is so cool and i i just i greatly appreciate um billy and jason lee and the rest like the way that they so but but that first scene when they go on stage and um you know they huddle up and then they walk out and then russell's just talking to to will william about music and what he loves about these songs and that marvin gay track and all this and then they walk out and the you know the the crowd comes in and the the, the guitar lick and everything i just think it, get, it gives me goosebumps every time because it just it man it's like, I'm a, I'm, I am I'm feel every time I watch it, like I'm about to watch a concert, like I'm about to watch Stillwater perform. And I, I think that's, um, I don't know. I think that kind of gets lost in some other spots. And the, the other one, I'm forever and ever, I've talked forever, but the, the only other little note, it's only in the director's cut um, when, I'm pre- it's when Fallon comes in for the first time. And so the band is off in the room talking about whether or not they're going to have representation with this guy. And then it cuts out to Penny and she's by herself on the, uh, I think it's in Cleveland. It's like the Cleveland Coliseum floor and that Cat Stevens song is playing in the background. And it's really, it's only like a, I don't know, a 20 second scene. But for me, I think it it gives a, it just kind of gives you a look at um, whether she's a teenager or not. She still is like a young person who is on this really weird roller coaster crazy life ride that she's on. But at the end of the day, she still is a 18, 19, 20-year-old girl who is in an empty Coliseum by herself. So I, I don't know. I just I love the whole the whole sequence. And that was one that like Crow was really upset to have to cut from the original uh the original cut of the movie and that that i've heard that was like one of the first ones that he was like we're gonna put that back in for the directors because it meant a lot to him as well and i just i I think that scene is really cool yeah
1: because we don't get a ton of penny alone we don't really get a ton of anyone anyone alone and we don't we we think of penny as kind of this this interesting vessel that william is learning from and crushing Mm -hmm. on and stuff like that but we rarely think about Penny herself and like yeah. what, what she's mm-hmm. thinking. We always think what William is thinking of her. That's, that's right. That's kind of from right. our point of view. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, best quote in this one. I mean, you, you said, but with this script, and it, it's kind of the same thing as Jerry Maguire is that all these mm-hmm. like crows, not wasting space on the page. Every, yeah. like every conversation has some sort of deep meaning or ilk or anything like that. And, It's everything's deep. Everything's metaphorical. I, the funniest line in the movie though, is it actually comes in like the first, the first two minutes is that when, when Zoe Deschanel tells Francis McDormand that they call him a narc, she's like a narcotics (laughs) officer, (laughs) Francis. Well, what's wrong with that? Yes. Yeah. It's so good. good, I mean, my favorite is Jason Lee's entire first monologue to William about the plus. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. That's a great one
3: that's a great one. I love the Philip Seymour Hoffman quote that I said earlier. Um, I love when, when (laughs) I think it's like the second time that, that William is trying to get Russell to talk to him by himself. And he just, you know, he's like, turn it off and I'll talk to you honestly. And just says, just make us look cool, man. Like that's, that's all we want here is just, is just to look cool. I love that. Um, I love, what uh what what the what his mom says at the end in you know sort of quietly into russell's ear of there's still hope for you you know it's really cool um and the last line of the movie is great last line of the movie of you know what what do you love about music first of all or to begin with everything is just a really cool note to end it on yeah. funny note to me is when they, when the bus drives off and, and Jeff BB comes out of the bus, he's like, Oh yeah, sure. Leave me. I'm only the effing lead singer as he's, you know, screaming at the bus. So, so it's, good quality.
1: So good. Um, there's one when, when Ben Fong Torres calls William and he's, it's the night after he's been deflowered and he's like, you know, he's like, get it together. You're not out there to join the party. We already have 100 Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. A good one excellent. Um, you had kind of just said, you know, this movie, the, the basis of this movie is authenticity, which is mm-hmm. the basis of this podcast, talking about what's realistic, what's authentic in movies. I mean, for you, it's when you say like the most authentic part of this movie. I mean, this is Cameron Crowe's life. But I, mm-hmm. I will say one of the uh, on top of that, like the pressures of stardom and band dynamics, it feels raw and real. It doesn't nothing. Nothing in this movie feels super manufactured. So I think, I mean, yeah. just the whole, yeah. just the whole scope of the movie is authentic.
3: I agree. I, I think this is one of the more, um, I, I think it's one of the more true movies uh, of, of the last uh, 30 years or whatever. Uh, when, when we talked about it on our show, one of my co-hosts, Kent, um, was, was in a, a pretty successful touring band um, for, for several years out of high school. And so that was one of the things we asked him, like how, I mean, I understand the era is different. It was, you know, 30 years later or whatever, but or 20 years, but um, you know, what, w- w- is this true to kind of the band experience? And he was like, just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's spot on every, everything that happens with the band that happens with, with the road that happens with all these things. He was like, that's, it's, it is, it's so spot on for what almost
1: band. famous in the warp tour era. It'd be really interesting.
3: Yeah, no, no, no question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh probably probably better off for not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, <laughs> but I mean it's it's the truth of that. It's it's you know, if you read I love um I love music. I love I love uh, uh music books. I read uh you know, I, I make a point of reading a, a couple or three uh um books about musicians or, or bands or, or eras or whatever i think i've read every single grunge era book um that's ever been written and stuff and i'll read a lot about this era too but like you know you read the led zeppelin biography you read an eat you read an eagle's biography you read any any of these these folks it wasn't it, it was it would not hold up to um the standards of of 2021 so it's uh we should probably just um leave it in the past and and be happy that we have progressed as a society as much as we have at this point. So 1970 I know how well it was a good go setting. Over. Good setting. Yeah, exactly. Movie. Exactly.
1: I yeah. have actually something that I believe would be, would is, is a not authentic and maybe it actually happened for crow, but for me, like Brian, I write you, write. Can you imagine a first-time freelancer getting the cover of Rolling Stone, guy what that they've a, never yeah. met, never written a single article for Rolling Stone? <laughs> like, yeah, hey, guy that we've yeah. never we've never met, sure. we've read a couple of your articles on Cream. Cover uh-huh. you, you're our guy. That's true.
3: That's true. That's probably that's probably a bit a bit outlandish. I do love how he gets the record. I mean, the record, the the writing deal with Rolling Stone, like the phone call and just. Like, um, we can offer you 700 and he's just so shocked that it it gets him bumped up to a thousand just, uh, just by that. I think it's, it's such a fun, such a fun way. Uh, but I mean, you know, maybe in pre-internet, I guess you can get away with more stuff. So maybe, maybe that does happen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I did I did the
1: uh the the inflation calculator for that one thousand Rolling Stone uh-huh. was gonna give him sixty one hundred dollars. <laughs> uh first time freelancer that they had never met. Sixty yeah. one hundred dollars for that listen. Piece. Any
3: any uh any uh, editor or or uh uh director that's out there, if you want to give me sixty one hundred dollars to write about any ba- band of your choice, you holler at me. I'm- the- topic <laughs> of your
1: choice like sign me up yeah. I will write no about question. anything no I will deliver as many words as you need for $6,100 without a doubt I will yeah. do an accompanying accompanying podcast to the article <laughs> I y- right. you you got That's it right. $6,100 I am yours <laughs> yeah. did you have anything in this movie that wasn't authentic to you I mean I it's this is a tough one to pull from
3: yeah may- maybe the only thing would be like Rain Wilson, not being Dwight. I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't have anything. I think this is, this is as about as true as it gets for a film. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, what, um, what else worked in this one that we haven't touched? I mean, we, we touched into he, how he gets the best of so many actors. I mean, he did the same thing in, in Jerry Maguire, you know, getting yeah. the best out of, out of Cuba getting junior and even, even Renee Zellweger who, I mean, gr- great actor, yeah. never been my cup of tea, but, um, Damn. You know, the peak of Hudson, it's the commercial peak of Crudup. It seems like a role he was born to play, really, which is like it's like a very cliche thing to say. But he's like Mm -hmm. he's that perfect mold. But even like the minor roles, it's kind of like how it's kind of like the dazed and confused thing. Like Linklater, you know, had this touch of like and and. Uh, and honestly, I think he did the same thing and everybody wants some. I think we're going to see more from a lot of those guys. I mean, in that movie has Glenn Powell and White Russell and stuff like that. But this you get there's like young Jay Ruschel, Eric Stone Street. Eric Stone Street might have more money than anyone else in this movie.
3: Yeah, oh, Besides, sure. yeah, but
1: maybe maybe Frances McDormand, although she gives me like doesn't care about money vibes. But like yeah. Eric yeah. Stone Street might be the most financially successful person in this movie. <laughs> For sure, um, yeah. Ten years, or of actually, or, or wait, Oof. Rain yeah. Wilson too. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, th- those two are Megan bank. Um, you know, Zoe Deschanel, small role, mm-hmm. small ish role, a little bit bigger than some of those, but yeah, Mark Maron's in there. Um, I love the. I, I I think that's a real, that's a part of what. It's it, part of it is like the hindsight of like what all those actors and actresses became, but part of it is I think they it it to me it shows like. Crow and company, they super knew what they were doing in, in casting this whole thing. Um, And I think that's, I think that's a little bit of an underrated part of the movie making um, process is, is picking the right people to, to play the roles. I think a a good actor can, can overcome uh, mediocre or, or or bad scripting or, or whatever else, but it, it rarely works the other way around. Um, So I, I appreciate that like mitch Hedberg, is in the movie Mm -hmm. i mean like it's there's it's a a, just kind of a a parade of of folks that come across the screen You're like oh yeah i forgot about i didn't forgot that you know rain wilson was in this i i couldn't i forgot uh, eric stonestreet was here um so I, i think that that just kind of speaks to the depth of the talent that was on screen for this
1: yeah i mean it's something that like the best do really like Tarantino does that really well. And like,
3: mm-hmm. like you
1: look at like Tarantino and Christopher Nolan, they go back to the well for a lot of the same people, but like they know what works and they rarely, they rarely really miss with someone. Sure. And yeah, I, I think, and sure. I think in this one, Crow's the same way. I don't think anyone, anyone mm-hmm. would be considered a miss, a miss and then getting, getting Hoffman and Francis McDormand in the movie in, in minor roles. And is, I mean, it's, it's, it's bonkers. Like they're both, yeah they're both so good and they're both in such essentially minor roles for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, the, the mom. So Francis McDormand, and again, this is based off Cameron Crowe's mom. So I, you right. know, seems must be authentic. She is weirdly socially conservative for being very like lefty and anti capitalist. Like the, the <laughs> you'd think the woman who like wants to do Christmas in June because it wouldn't be as commercialized <laughs> would be like, super fine with him going and like smoking pot at a still water sure. concert
3: yeah i think that's just a product of the time period of of i mean early 70s is <laughs> is really an interesting period in in american history um because of coming off of what we had in the 60s heading into what we're going to get in the in the reagan era um, and the way I did not expect to talk about this on the, on the show, but like, I just, I think it's, that she it's not a, is, it's not a movie <laughs> podcast without talking about the yeah. Reagan era. <laughs> um, I, I think that she is, um, a pretty interesting kind of encapsulation of, of probably a lot of, not to say that she's not unique. Cause she's based on his mom, but like, I would bet that that's that kind of being stuck between, you know the the, both sides of the culture war at that time um are would be would make for an interesting person um but at the end of the day she's just protective of her kids and she wants what's best for her kids and we're we never know exactly what happened with the dad but we're led to believe that he died um and i'm sure that leaves a wound and and a wound and and that we're trying to navigate and and overcome and stuff and so She's just she's just scared for her kids. And as often happens, the the older child takes the kind of the brunt of that, like sort of disconnect um, or um, wanting to be protective and all that. And then, you know, you see what happens with one. But one of the best scenes that I could have mentioned for, for, for Francis is right after he gets the pitch from Rolling Stone and accepts the deal. And she, you know, it just it cuts almost immediately directly to him and her sitting in the living room and her saying no 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 more than four days and like just like he and tim i mean she's talking herself into that she's 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 balancing the i want to protect my kid i think that this is a bad thing for him but also i want to support him and i want to you know try to you know, fund or, 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 you know, be the, the wind beneath his wings for, for, um, his dreams and stuff. And I, I think that, so anyway, I, I think, I think you're right. It is kind of funny that she's not, um, super hippie all the way through, but, uh, I, I, to me that that just comes across as like, this is a real human being, or this is, this is the, the, um, embodiment of a real human being who's conflicted. It's and some honest.
1: appreciation for the scene of the the rock stars have kidnapped my my son, which is <laughs> yeah. which is good. Yeah. Um, Don't do drugs. It's <laughs> like oh, yeah poor the, kid. the <laughs> So the the last thing I really want to get to we you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but it's clear how important to crow it is to the the love that William feels for Penny, and that mm-hmm. and that being a theme, and it's it's not just like. It's not just as deep as like oh he seems to have a crush on this girl she's kind of the does the you know the manic pixie dream girl type thing to him like mm-hmm. it's it's very important how much of a transformative experience this is for William and that it's clear like this is this is the first girl he's ever loved it's probably the first girl he's ever spoken to uh, sure. from from yeah. what we what we get about William but like that that relationship and by the end you know Penny has Penny has clear love for she has clear love for William before the before the movie ends Um, you know not the kind not the kind that he would like but it's it's a very very important thing and you've got to imagine that for crow that is that is pulling
3: from something Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that i mean penny lane is is a real person she's based on a real person um and i don't know that uh crow was in love with her the way that william is in love with penny in this movie or if that was kind of a amalgam of of various things but i mean that is, I mean, I, again, I keep saying this, the truth and the authenticity of this movie, but like you and I have both been 15 years old. I mean, that is such a truth. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you were much more confident um, with women than I was at 15 years old. Not the in the slightest. <laughs> I mean, the having such a, I mean, such a clearly deep crush on this person who does care about you and does love you, but definitely thinks of you as a brother, not, you know, any sort of romantic partner. And moreover, he doesn't know what he's, I mean, he, he is, it's, it's not a, I, I get the sense anyway that his, his feelings towards Penny are not like um, overly romantic as much as it is just like sort of, an obsession with somebody who is older and cooler and more together seemingly than what he is. And it's how um, she
1: makes him know. feel too.
3: Cause yeah, Will, she, yeah, sure. she
1: has spurned William from the moment he met her uh-huh. and works to get him into, you know, she says like, I'll, I'll try to get you in the thing or whatever, but it's, yeah. she yeah. has given him, as much confidence as, as anyone in his life. Right. It's, ha- it's how she makes him feel and how she kind of helps him come out of his shell. I mean, the, the scene right. where he's, he's getting deflowered, he's the, his eye, like his eyes are all for her sitting on the toilet. Yeah. Like they're having, they're having that moment.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And same, same in that scene um, when she's, you know, on, when she's dying, when she's, you know, overdosing on quaaludes and <laughs> you know, I, it's a it's it's a very sad scene there's not a lot of sadness in this movie. it's like I said it's a very warm um tender movie but but that's a that's a that's a dark scene I mean it's really sad this this twenty year old let's say um has just gone off to potentially kill herself because of what these men have put her through um and but as she's she's getting her stomach pumped and she's like literally puking and and then uh my sheree uh p- pops on just an incredible needle drop and he's just got the goo goo eyes for her and and I think that is I think that's a great scene that is very indicative of this relationship that the two of them have and the way that he feels towards her and and that she feels towards him. I love that relationship and I'm glad that it ends where it ends. I'm glad that mm-hmm. it does not become that the movie does not turn into how can we get William and Penny together? Or even how can we get Penny and Russell together? It's, these are three people who are all interconnected with each other, but they don't have to end up with each other. And in fair, I think at least as far as this movie goes, they wouldn't, they should not end up together. That's not, it wouldn't have been, that would have been the, the place where you say, okay, that's where it kind of leaves that the truthfulness of, of what they were trying to present. If it ends with Russell and Penny together, um, or Penny and, and, and William together, it, that, that doesn't, to me, I'd still love it because I love this movie so much, but I don't, I don't think that that rings true. Um, I think that he gets, he gets Crow gets that, that relationship dynamic perfectly. Yeah. It's, I think it,
1: it's three people who really do need to go their separate ways. We have shared something mm-hmm. special together Part of that has been traumatic. Part of it, we we've all grown. The three of us, Penny, Russell, and mm-hmm. William, and now it's we have we have separate lives we need to live. This is something in the past, but we've all grown from it. And right. I think I think For you're right. Sure. It's really important that they, they he didn't try to force anything. The the, yes. the the relationship that we really needed to see that that phone call was enough between Russell and Russell and Penny. Mm-hmm. The relationship we really needed to see was was Russell and William because that was the one that that needed really needed closure. Penny and Russell's yeah. relationship wasn't was closed. That that scene in New York yeah. is brutal and that's like th- this is never going to work. Mm-hmm. Um but but Russell and Russell and William needed that. So I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. It, as far as what didn't work in this one, I don't really, I mean, the Rolling Stone cover thing like, you know, sure. it may, it makes makes the movie better other than that. I mean, Having to write all those words while counting words, he like you know I'm trying yeah. to get you extra thousand words, and I like my wife pointed that out and be like, does he have to? He has to like count the words himself, right? right?
3: Like, yeah, ooh, that's tough. That's- yeah, I can't. I mean, what a, we're we're lucky <laughs> <laughs> we have we have the the computer to work with. Yeah, I love the that the, he walks into the office with all these like post-it notes, basically these mm-hmm. little little snippets of of uh, conversation and stuff on on tiny pieces of paper. I think that's, that's a really, that feels very, that feels like it's pulled from Cameron Crowe's own experiences. Mm -hmm. Like here, sorry, you know, that's, yeah,
1: no, I, I wrote, I wrote a freelance piece earlier this year and it was pulled from like, there was like I, I did probably 15 to 20 interviews and I had all the I didn't transcribe any of them. I just had like rough notes of all of them. And I'm like, gotcha. I've got my notebook in front of me and I'm typing and I'm like, why do I live like this? like Why, <laughs> why did I not just yeah. like transcribe everything? Yeah, that's um, funny. Uh- <laughs> the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character gosh this is this is a heat so i am saying william obviously not eligible penny lane not Mm -hmm. eligible russell not eligible anyone else is on the table there's jason lee who i've already professed Uh, like the the fucking buzz like amazing uh philip seymour hoffman lester bangs one of I, i think when you said it earlier i started thinking i was like this might actually be my favorite philip seymour hoffman performance like Sure. It's really, really good, McDormand. Really, really good. Um, I want you to Noah Taylor is Dick Roswell, the manager. Uh-huh. He is excellent as the Very way good. in, way over his head manager. Yes. Uh, yes, that I, I think those are your those are your main contenders, unless I miss sure. anyone.
3: Yeah. For, so, if I remember correctly, Francis and uh, Hudson. Both got a nominate an Oscar. Nomination. Yes, Francis. Did Francis me?
1: did. Yeah, I think
3: Kate Hudson may have won the Globe, if I remember, because I think it was labeled a comedy. I could go back and look at that, but it doesn't matter.
1: Um, let's see, let's see. I've got it up right now. No, uh, yes, Kate Hudson won the Globe. Okay, and then the the fit, it won Best Musical or Comedy. Gotcha. Okay, interesting. Um, that's Cameron Crowe won the Oscar for Best Screenplay, but did not win the Globe.
3: Yeah, that's wheels off. Let's <laughs> uh yeah that doesn't that doesn't make a whole lot of sense but
1: let's yeah. see oh uh traffic
3: okay that's a great script yeah it's a great script um but i i think i mean you're a writer i'm you're much more of a writer than i am a i'm a, a that's, quote unquote, that's debatable writer. um <laughs> but i am fascinated by scripts and screenplays and this is one of the all-time great screenplays so um i think it it definitely deserves that award so okay so of those so so hudson's out um hammond's out and and get is out. so to me it comes down to it's either it's two of the, the all-time great american actors. It's, it's it's either philip seymour hoffman or francis mcdormand um man i think both of them have probably done better work than this just given the nature of their incredible filmographies um but I would, I think I would probably do a toss up and I would end up leaning. 51 uh, 49 to, to Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think for me,
1: I think Hoffman is the best of any of the supporting characters. I love Jason Lee in this movie. Sure. Like yeah. I, I was, it was, is how I felt about Betney in a Night's Tale. Although betney has less, there's less people coming for that crown in a night's tale. Sure. Although, I mean, sure. that's, yeah. that's a really good yeah. cast. We, we got into it, but yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just I'm big on Jason Lee. This one just I I did the Wikipedia rabbit hole thing, so I didn't I didn't realize this was not actually nominated for Best Picture that year. Won the yeah, Globe. Man. Did not get Gladiator. Wins Chocolat. Yeah. <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Aaron uh-huh. Brokovich and Traffic.
3: Yeah. See, that's a good year. It's a good that, year is, for, that for, is that for, is a good a, year. I I
1: have not seen Chocolat, and then I. I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon when I was like 13. Mm-hmm. I I didn't get it. I haven't seen yeah. it since. I I didn't get it when I saw it.
3: It's not my favorite on that list, but I I can get where where most of that is coming from. Um, yeah, you know, I always say like 99 to like 04 ish is one of the worst eras for modern film, and and I that sounds super snobby, and I don't really mean it that way. It's just we were kind of stuck in this weird in between with. Um, the way we were making movies with, um, certainly with, 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 uh, visual effects and stuff like that. And so it's like the ambition was there, but the, the technique wasn't quite there. And we're transitioning from more of an actor period to more of like a property period, but we're not quite getting there. It's just a weird time for movies, but 2000 is kind of a banger year. Um, so that's, it's pretty, it's like pretty
1: good. Yeah. I mean, like a movie, like traffic probably usually wins. And it, yeah, it traffic. Gladiator Gladi- yeah. traffic is dope.
3: *Traffic* is an incredible movie. Um, I mean, I, I like Gladiator quite a bit. There's no world in 2021. There's no world in which Gladiator should have been the best picture winner that year. But but at the time, I was like, that's fine. I really love Gladiator. That was that was a good movie. So for me, it's super easy to take out *Shock a Lot* and put this in um, and give it all of the awards. Uh, <laughs> if it was up to me, you know, I, I would have at least two best supporting actor nominations here and two best actress nominations which you know it did get but um i think i think uh billy and, and philip seymour Hoffman both were um kind of robbed a little bit on this this year yeah not being part of it yeah i don't know if either one of them would be i think del toro won that year for, del
1: um, del toro won that year jeff bridges in the contender defoe and shadow of the vampire albert finney and Aaron brockowitz brockovich and joaquin in gladiator
3: oh yeah okay well Willem Dafoe could lose his spot real easily <laughs> for one of these two. And I like Willem Defoe. I'm not knocking. It's just like Shadow, no one remembers Shadow. The no Vampire. one remembers
1: Shadow the Vampire. Yeah. Um so the big chill or like the big moment uh that that every sports movie has. I, Tiny Dancer is supposed to be the moment, probably is the moment. One thing we haven't, you you said it earlier when Russell is talking, when he says, you know, just make us look cool. But mm-hmm. he that whole I I never I haven't I haven't really given that scene the attention it deserves. When he's talking to mm-hmm. William off mic, when he, you know, the I'm telling secrets to the guy. I should never tell secrets to that thing. But like, he's laying out his entire psyche of where he is. You know, like saying mm-hmm. he's passed them as musicians, but they're having more success. Their houses are getting right. bigger. Like he feels he feels more pressure than anyone to keep this going. The others might kind of resent him, but like you can tell Russell realizes that like this is all on his shoulders.
3: Yeah,
1: and that's that's yeah, a really for, good for moment. Sure
3: that's that's true that's a good uh that's a good observation good way to put that um russell uh yes carries a lot of weight and also i think part of that too is just like uh you kind of get the impression that if anyone would have shown up he would have talked to him because he needed to talk and he needed to to put that out there and you know in 2021, he'd be like he he would have a therapist because he would yeah. He would, we're not having rock stars are not not meeting with therapists in 1970. Men
1: will literally <laughs> shock themselves on mics on stage in front of people <laughs> rather than go yeah. to therapy.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I mean you you can you get that that sense of like he trusts he says I trust you. There's really no reason for him to trust William other than he's 15. So maybe he just thinks this kid I can manipulate this kid into not saying the stuff that i don't want him to say but there's not really any it's not like they've built up any trust other than he shows up he's young and he clearly knows the band you know like that scene where he meets stillwater on the you know outside the venue and like gives them that like you know you know uh jeff jeff you're in is telling him what russell you're it's just incredible incendiary. incendiary i can incendiary, be incendiary you know? <laughs> yeah Um, is, is, is really cool. But but truthfully, that's not any reason to trust this person. He just needed somebody to talk to and William was there and that's how they're, you know, they're kind of their, their relationship forges. So yeah, I I think that's, that's a great big chill moment. Um, the whole Topeka scene, the the Mm -hmm. tiny dancer, I think that's that as we've talked about that enough. Um, but I do think it's super cool when they go out on stage, Mm -hmm. um, for, Actually, I'll even say it's the third time when they kind of get that kind of montagey one, where it starts with Jeff at the at the piano doing the kind of slow intro, and then it just it goes into that heavy guitar, and um and you can see to me that's like the that's the 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 place where you see the work of them like with the the band camp essentially of of Russ of. with Billy especially, because he just... That's the only place where you really see him, like, he is playing guitar, and he's just, like, going to town on... I don't know. I, I always get a chill on on that that particular moment, because you get... It's, like, this really important show, and they nail it. Like, mm-hmm. you can tell from the minute, minute and a half that it's on screen. You you get the impression anyway that it's, like, they freaking crush that, that concert, and that's going to be what takes them to the next level.
1: And it's really important that we see that no matter we see all the stuff going on behind the scenes but we also keep getting tastes of like they're they're killing it they're doing really yeah. well jimmy fallon shows up says says your record's selling like it that's important yeah. that we know that things are going well off you know actually with their actual jobs no matter no matter this turmoil and stuff that's going yeah, on absolutely um, I did not write down anything for how to improve it. The only, I mean, you could get into fun recasting things. You could, mm-hmm. you know, say the, you know, the, the bass player, that guy, like, you know, was someone a little more capable, maybe a little more, um, known or famous or someone who would, sure. you know, would get, um, other than that, like, I don't, you know, I'm not touching, can't touch perfection. <laughs> no.
3: No, for me, it's like uh, the only thing I would do is it's the rare movie. I always watch the director's cut, which is like just short of three hours long. Give me give me the four or five. Hour <laughs> cut. I'd have been I'd be OK with spending more time uh, in this this world. And that's that's not a real criticism.
1: So, yeah. Well, uh, before more restore uh, prequel, sequel or remake. You can't remake this. Can't no, touch it.
3: Absolutely not. Hands off. Yeah sequel Um,
1: it's night it's it's 1984 it's 11 years later
3: okay yeah
1: uh Uh, like it you know they're so water's 100 broken up yeah um you know it's russell runs into russell runs into penny williams living in new york city or he's living in la something like that they're writing it's a it's like maybe it's like a one-act play like they all got to dinner together and something like that like kind of like you said like i'd be i'd be in just a little bit more of this world
3: yeah uh, I, I think you could do a, you could do a sequel very easily just by, I mean, Russell is a stand-in you said earlier is a stand-in for Glenn Fry. You could do a sequel on this just by kind of modeling the Eagles and going to the hell freezes over uh reunion in like 94, I think is when, the, when they did that. I mean, and that's 20 years from 1973. Yeah. 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 So you, you could pop that in pretty easily. They're definitely broken up and they're, they're reuniting in some form or fashion, whether that's just to get a dinner together or it's, uh, you know, you know, I'd really like to (laughs) sell a couple of records and Jeff is fronting some like shitty grunge
1: band, like trying to capitalize (laughs) on that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, there, there really are some, some, uh, pretty obvious parallels, uh, between the from this band to from the movie to to the Eagles um just that the Eagles got I mean you're led to believe, obviously they go on tour at the end of this for 74 so you're led to believe they still have some time together I can't imagine that they're uh the Rolling Stones you know that have stayed together for the last 50 years or anything like that um but you you could guess that they're going to spend some more years together um and which you know but but it's it's, it's similar with the Eagles of you know, the, the stories of how much Glenn Fry and Don Henley hated each other. you, lots of people hate the Eagles and that's like, I'm not making a case or uh, for, or against the Eagles. It's just the dynamic of Don Henley and Glenn Fry, like literally having to have their microphone turned off between songs because they're just dog cussing each other and and just so coked out and stuff for sure. That's where Stillwater ends up, right? Like for sure, they're screaming, Jeff and Russell are yelling at each other over the, you know, between the songs and all this sort of stuff. Um, So it'd be very easy to, to sequelize this. I think
1: it's probably way too late in this podcast to unpack this, but there is no drugs in this movie, which is really, yeah. Yeah, which is true. really interesting. That's true. Crow kept, they it, kind of Crow like, kept it pretty they, clean. They, Crow knew his yeah, mom they, they, was going to watch this one. <laughs>
3: right. Right. They always sort of hint at it, but they never, it never goes all, it never goes like rock star. With yeah. Um, I don't even think you see I like a dirty mirror yeah, or
1: anything in the movie.
3: For sure. I, I appreciate it because to me, it, it, it's the same with sort of just the, like the general debauchery that happens on the road, especially in 1973. Um, I appreciate that. And I'm sure this is partly just my, uh, my upbringing and stuff, but it, it, they, it's, it's such a well-written movie that, I think you are, you just assume all this stuff is happening. And it's like, I don't really need to see, you have that one scene with um, Russell and, and um, Penny in the hotel room. And you can, you can get, you can gather that, that there's some, there's some kind of drugs that's going, that's a part of this. Um, But like, it's not a, he doesn't indulge in the, the seedy side of, of being a, a rock star in 1973. You With don't have to worry about
1: of- some like plot line of like Jeff is strung out before a show or something like, anything exactly, like that.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And you can just, to me, it's I've always taken it as just like, if you're watching this movie, it's gosh, it's such a well-written movie. You just can kind of, you can assume you can assume that all this stuff is happening. I don't even need to show it because you know, what is what some of this is. And um, I appreciate that. I think it's, I think it keeps the movie focused on the relationships and the development and the music, which is what the whole thing is supposed to be a part of, instead of becoming like a, a rock star with Wahlberg and, and oh, Aniston. But,
1: that's uh, a movie that will not be getting covered on this podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not great. That's it's that's not great.
1: that's not what we want. But Brian, this was a real pleasure. <laughs> Always good I having mean. you on the show. I'm sure this will not be the last time uh, tell the folks again where they can follow you, where you can check out Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor.
3: Yeah, uh, both of those shows, Mad About Movies, Spread the Floor. Uh, Mad About Movies, every week we cover the biggest, typically the biggest movie that's come out in theaters or streaming. And then uh, at the end of the week, we do a throwback episode on our VIP page for like through Patreon. Um, where We'll typically talk about a movie that's celebrating a big anniversary, 25, 30, whatever years or is relevant to a, a movie that's coming out in theater soon. So like in a couple of weeks, we're going to go back and look at um, the uh, David Lynch Dune movie from uh, 1986 or something. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, we do those, both of those shows, spread the floor is a basketball podcast. We talk all NBA and uh, usually have some fun with it with my, my co host Tobin. So both of those shows are available on, on every podcast platform, Apple podcasts, Spotify, um, whatever you, whatever you're listening, wherever you are listening to this show, you can listen to our shows, uh, on the, the, those platforms as well.
1: And if you enjoyed this episode of big screen sports, please remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and leave a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to vote on a, a movie to cover for next month, go to the Patreon that's patreon.com slash big sports voting privileges, support the show stickers. All the good stuff. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday covering Ted Lasso's Season 2, Episode 10, me and my co-host Alex McDaniel, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening.